Welcome to the ninth episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics while it still exists. But the joke's on us because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact, we must use them. I'll let you in on all the rules as usual, but first, let's welcome my guest with which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number nine. It's Gene Hendricks. Hi, Gene. Hi, Siskoid. I'm very happy you invited me, although I was kind of terrified when you did. <laughs> well, we haven't worked together in a while, I think, so uh, I'm happy to have you back on a show. Yeah, well, I'm. I have this weird feeling that's going to be changing this year. It, it might. We may have plans, people. <laughs> so issue number nine, that's the Green Lantern issue, the, the green one. Challenges, as far as this one goes? Uh, a lot of the same character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have two green arrows. You have three green lanterns. You have a green lantern core. So, yeah, it, it was interesting trying to figure out different takes on the same name. Yeah, that's true. I agree. And we also had like three war characters. We had like mm -hmm. several ghost characters in this one. So the letter G ha had its themes, let's say. Yes. Let's <laughs> say. So one more time, here are the rules for each episode of Who's Editing. Our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero character or team featured, as well as any non-HQ location. And we've got several of them in here. We can give a villain or another entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to, but we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other, so we can reboot characters or use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that we are each pitching our own ideas, so we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. Listeners, you decide which books you'd actually want to read, and we'll play a little bit of that as well at the end. So tell me, Gene, did you have a strategy going into this? Some people have like this big overarching thing. Yeah, I, as a matter of fact, I took a page out of uh, Michael Bradley and the late Sean Engel's book, and I went Tangent Universe with this. Oh. Uh, so basically, all that is the same is the names. Wow, okay. So you really went afield. Yeah, I basically dumped everything. And once I did that, I freed myself up a bit, and then I looked at it, it's like, okay, what if to use the other publisher, mm -hmm. I had two parallel lines. Again, Sean Engel, Michael Bradley, that was the name of their podcast. So I split this down the middle. I have a line of physical world books and a line of spirit world books that do cross over sometimes. So it's one universe, but half is dealing with the physical, half is dealing with the spiritual. Okay, that's intriguing. I can't wait to see what that <laughs> looks like. <laughs> if you're fans of the characters as they are hopefully my line will have some of well some of my line will have some of that at least okay and as usual i don't have much of an overarching thing going i accepted that a number of green lantern books would be nominally you know connected but i basically created a bunch of insular comics that didn't even necessarily take place in the same continuity oh okay and in fact the line explores if there's a theme to my thing is that it explores a lot of the dc earth that isn't the regular fictional American cities that we're used to. So with that, issue nine of Who's Who has to include a minimum of 18 books in our line and a maximum of 19 if we use a bonus book. Gene, I'm going to hand it off to you first, uh, and we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order, and we'll keep our bonus villain series for the end if we have one. Right. So it all starts rather 
<laughs> it, it doesn't start on a big high necessarily, but Gemworld is our first one. So what did you have in mind for the tangent Gemworld? In my line of books, the Green Lantern Corps is on the spiritual side of things. Their home base is Gemworld. So much like Tales of Asgard, Gemworld just existed on its own, and it just has this one focal point in the other book. So Gemworld as the series would explore the rest of the world. What do the inhabitants feel about this base of spiritual operations being there? Uh, are they going to accept it? Are they going to rally against it? What's going on in the rest of the world that may not even know about this? So it's going to be more of an anthology book of how another population deals with stuff that we see a lot of. Okay, Superman's in Metropolis, but what does the general population of the state around Metropolis think of this? So it's it's that general framework. Yeah, in my case, obviously I'm using the real gem world more or less. I think the obvious thing to do is to say it's Game of Thrones with gemstones and instead of house names. Yeah, you know, I'd really be more confident about this zeitgeist-wise if if the series came out like five years ago. But it's still that. I mean, the history even has, if you read it, magic waning, like there's a cycle to it, which is sort of part of the Game of Thrones universe. But I still wanted to give it more details than that. So, okay, it's a bit of a reboot. Amethyst isn't sent out to our world to grow up in a suburban family. We keep it self-contained. She's being raised under another name. Uh, like, you know, like Topaz or, you know, one of those families. But she's the chosen one who will come into her own, change everything, with Black Opal basically being a Lannister, trying to subvert the Zodiac imperative of who gets to lead and when. First order of business is to redraw that boring-ass map that's a, <laughs> that's such a boring fantasy map, uh, and make sure it's clear that things work according to a mythical rather than a scientific basis. I like the note here about how the sun becomes the moon as it drains itself of power. So more like that, uh, like old world thinking. I think Black Opal's big plan is to mess with the constellations, to change his destiny and put himself on the throne out of order, uh, which might even take the story into magical outer space. You know, what is, if you go out of the world's bounds, what's out there when you're using a sort of more magical version of astronomy or astrology in this case. So that's my gem world. Geoforce is next, to which I kind of asked, do we have to? Uh, <laughs> this is your show. Yes, you did. Yes. Uh, it, well, I, I so not care about this character that I'm repurposing the name. Well, a little bit like you in this case. <laughs> Geoforce sounds like a team, not a guy is the thing. So a goody version of Terra is on it, along with other elemental types. The Aqualad, who is Manta's son and has Mira's powers. A static, some version of Windfall that would look like she has like a different haircut than Terra. So <laughs> they're kind of similar looking. Basically young heroes who fall under the leadership of Metamorpho, the element man. So there's a, at least an outsider's connection there. They're based out of Markovia, a neutral state, with Prince Brian in the role of the brother who sighs his days away because he wishes he could be more like his sister and shirk responsibility for his kingdom. You know, Geoforce you know, probably would fight for the environment against those who would harm it and bring relief to disaster victims across the world. So Windfall's connection 
to the Masters of Disaster isn't coincidental, isn't a whim. Uh, villains like this would turn up all the time. You know, the Floronic Man, Typhoon, Quake Master. You can raid who's who for a number of environmental-ish villains, disaster-based villains. Major Disaster would be in there. If you thought of Captain Planet at any point during my pitch, you got it. Gonna take pollution down to zero. Ah. Did I sort of predict what you would do with it in, in terms of it being a team? Because it does sound like a team. As a matter of fact, <laughs> yes, you did. This is going to be my first entry in the physical world side of things. And Geoforce is a team, a hero team of elementals. So you have earth, air, fire, and water. And they are focused on protecting the natural world. I mean, it's right there in the name. They go up against polluters, etc. But they're on the extreme end of things. They, they won't kill outright, but massive property damage, no problem. This will put them in a different light depending on who's reporting on the story. They could be heroes or they could be villains. So this may end up with them butting heads with the other hero team I have in the physical world. Like you said, Captain Planet. But what if Captain Planet also had to deal with the PR ramifications of what that group did. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a lot more uh, real politic. Yeah, it, they have to deal with the consequences of their actions. Their actions being right, but they can't always just say, well, we did the right thing and go on. They will have to deal with what came out of that. Cool. I imagine Ghost Patrol is going to be in the spiritual world for you. Why, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the way I have this set up is that there are... Several things going on in the spiritual world. Now, the main component is, okay, someone dies, their spirit has to go to the, an afterlife of some type. But there are those spirits that, for whatever reason, don't want to go there. They want to stay and finish something. So the Ghost Patrol is that group. They're, they're a group of spirits that have banded together to help each other accomplish their final so baked in this is that the cast of characters would constantly be changing. So in issue one, okay, this person finished their final act. Now they can go on and maybe they also find a new member that needs help. So it would be not necessarily one loss per issue, but it would be a rotating membership with maybe some stable characters that just want to hold back and help. Or maybe by issue 10, everybody has changed over. Basically, it's up to the writer in that sense. Early favorite, Gene. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this idea a lot. For me, they look pretty straight in the entry when you look at it. You know, Luke, Luke McDonald is best known for Suicide Squad and uh, the massacre of Justice League Detroit. But the Golden Age stories were comedies where Hitler got pranked on a regular basis. That's what it was. And that's... Totally what I want from this. More Plastic Man than Sergeant Rock. The untold tales of the three ghosts who helped us win the war with their shenanigans. And that's as elevator pitchy as I get. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> this is just what I want. I want this to be a riot and, you know, to laugh at Nazis is the goal here. Always a good goal. <laughs> From a war comic, straight to another war comic, G.I. Robot. So if uh, if people remember my take on Enemy Ace, uh, where each story arc would take place in a different time frame, this is also my vision for this more high-concept character, G.I. Robot. 
through the decades and even centuries, he's been buried, destroyed, rebuilt, reactivated countless times, allowing various creative teams to give their takes on the robot soldier, you know, between World War II and anything through the 30th century and beyond. Mostly serious, war is hell kind of stuff, but you can have change of pace issues that play on the comedy of his once having had a robot dog and a robot cat that has to be canonical. <laughs> Maybe with him, you know, waking up in a time of peace and enjoying a day out for once, you know, stories like that. I fully expect this to be a little like Man-Thing comics, where the less than completely verbal protagonist is more of an observer until he gets into action. But the uh, the writers can really go anywhere with it, and I would encourage them to go wild. It's about a robot GI, after all. <laughs> uh, that is kind of an interesting concept to try and wrap your head around. <laughs> As I know. <laughs> and how did you wrap it? Well, I looked at this a lot like Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Sure. So he is part of an experiment to make war less deadly in that we now would be fighting with robot soldiers. But he attained sentience when his creator was killed by a rival corporation who tried to steal his research. And as part of his last act, the creator deleted all the research and activated the prototype robot. But when he died, there was a short circuit that electrocuted both him and the robot. So is this just a robot? Is the soul of the creator in there somewhere? How is he going to deal with what might be his underlying war programming? He's going to be a literal GI robot, but he's going to have to try and navigate his way through humanity and figure out who is he really. A touch of machine man in there. Just a bit, yeah. Here's uh, the first team entry, if not the first team book as we've done it, but Global Guardians, old favorites of mine. What did you do with them? This is my JLA. Basically, these are the the shining heroes. Yeah. Sometimes they will come in conflict with Geoforce simply because of what Geoforce does. But mainly they are they're the ones dealing with the top level threats from another dimension, another planet, you know, natural disasters, whatever. There are going to be some interplay in here because two of my other characters are members of the Global Guardians and they are probably going to be butting heads quite a bit. So you're going to have some interteam drama. You're going to have some super heroics. Picture your best kind of JLA stories, and that's what's going to be in here. It's very similar to mine, but I wonder, since you've, you're repurposing the name, you're just keeping names, mm-hmm. are the members, you know, the rank and file of the Global Guardians, are they these guys from the entry with, I mean, those names, or... It would be completely new characters. Like I said, two of the other heroes later down the list are members. They're going to be like the the Superman and Batman of the team. But there are going to be other heroes. You could have a Green Arrow on there. You could have G.I. Robot maybe a member at some point. They're going to have a completely different roster than what's listed. Right. So there isn't like a tangent version of Godiva or... Dr. Mist or anything? No. 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 Not not in my thinking, anyway. Uh, Whoever takes over may do that. (laughs) It makes sense that they're the JLA. I mean, if we're only using these characters, and I'm not saying, you know, Batman and Superman don't exist in my Mm -hmm. DC universe. Yeah, I just don't have any control over them. Geoforce is my Teen Titans, I guess. Global Guardians are my Justice League, just like you. They're taking care of planetary threats. 
Uh, and since I first saw this entry, they really have always fascinated me. And I was sorry they never really got their due, really. You know, I look at them now and I do feel like too many of them are magic-based or based on legends or that kind of stuff. That's, they're not very deep as far as they haven't appeared enough for most of them to be very deep. So I would see them as a kind of international all-star squadron or a Justice League Unlimited, like a really huge team where different storylines can bring in different, less used characters. But there are some central figures. So I imagined a team structure, not unlike a wheel, where the inner ring has six core heroes, one per continent, doing the whole council thing with a rotating leader. And from each one, so to speak, are spokes leading to a maximum of one hero per member country who have elected a hero from their continent to that inner circle to represent their interests. In addition to all these guys, you know, from the entry, I would also pull from any DC source where international stories are told. Batman Incorporated, the Second Shade miniseries, Super Young Team from uh, Final Crisis, etc. Really make a global community of heroes. I would also put a bit more star power in there where I could, and I would definitely want to see stories about heroes from... Let's just call them rogue countries and how they are integrated into the team. Are they considered outlaws at home? Are they state-sponsored? And maybe they're hard to trust because of that. There are many stories there, I think. My core six might be the Wild Huntsman for Europe. He'd be like the Thor type. Sunburst for Asia. I've always thought I liked him better than Rising Sun. They're basically (laughs) the same character, though. Vixen for Africa for some of that star power. Tasmanian Devil from the Oceanic region, looking more like he does in this entry, but as portrayed in JLI. I've got a Reform Plastique for North America, which would spice things up, and Bushmaster from Venezuela representing South America as a kind of gadgeteer Batman type, though I think he might need a name change. (laughs) I don't think I want him to be called Bushmaster. I like maybe the Gecko or something like that. With such a large cast... You can swap out anyone who finishes their story arc or proves unpopular. It would be very easy. But, you know, we get out of this America-centric scheme for most American comics and really take it, you know, global and see other countries and see other places. So that's my Global Guardians. Cool. Golden Gladiator. Oh, here's a, like, was a challenge, I guess. We (laughs) we don't see a whole lot of... Roman era, you know, Roman Empire era comics these days. My idea for the Golden Gladiator, it's a straight steal from a role-playing game character created by my friend Fern from Lonely Hearts. I'm stealing it from his what's called the Emerald Gladiator. My Golden Gladiator is similar in that he's a legacy hero. The name dates back to the Roman Empire. It was passed on for generations until in the contemporary era, a Tony Stark type inherited it and made a Golden Gladiator power armor. Unfortunately, he was killed on his first mission, leaving no heirs. But through some quirk of fate, the armor's AI kept things going. It's an empty suit, but a heroic one, desperate to connect with people, seeing the world mainly through the lens of the internet, where it uses several online identities, but it really can't meet up with anyone. So there's a secret identity riff that's, I think, truly contemporary because we all hide behind these sort of handles. It's also a fish out of water story. It questions what it means to be a person, to be sentient. 
And, of course, there's a lot of slam-bang action. It's basically a power armor, after all. So, Golden Gladiator, I owe all of this to Fern, really. I, I had him as a player in a Mutants and Masterminds game. I think the Emerald Gladiator was, like, my favorite character of that bunch. Interesting. Well, mine also includes scientific golden armor. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, we're similar there. But this Golden Gladiator is a woman who grew up poor. She uh, Also, she is from an African-American family. And the only opportunity she had to rise above her origins was because she was an exceptional athlete. She's also brilliant, but no one pay attention to that. She's a woman, she's black, and she's an athlete, so she's just a jock. No one considered her mental acuity. But realizing that the downtrodden people of the world needed some type of symbol, she created a scientific golden armor, which also makes sure to show that one she's female and two she is black and everyone has to know this as part of her exterior but even though you know she shows part of her face part of her skin doesn't really change her voice that much no one suspects who she really is because she's just a jock no she couldn't create that uh she's also the first member of the global guardians that to have her own title and she is going to be butting heads with people who think of, you know, themselves as entitled. I probably would read that. What I like about it is that you don't just bring in identity politics and the, you know, in, in the fact that she is an African-American, but more universally than that, what expectations people have of you as either an, as an athlete, or if you're a nerd, you're not supposed to be physical mm-hmm. or, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it plays on several levels. I tried to cross as many streams as I could on that one. <laughs> Roman Empire stuff, we had war stuff, we had, like, these international heroes. This issue has, even though there's, like, these characters that are, you know, have exactly the same name that we're going to get to towards the end, <laughs> there's a lot of variety in terms of concepts that the who's who is, is bringing in, in terms of the titles that you get to play with as a tangent editor. Gorilla City is next. <laughs> That's my intro to that. This, this is a fun one. Uh, Gorilla City... It's an area in Africa that was originally a nature preserve. The scientists there and naturalists were trying to figure out a way to not only safeguard the decreasing gorilla population, but also try and promote growth. However, (laughs) the global guardians happened to be in the area fighting an extra dimensional threat, which unknowingly were helped by the guardians of the universe. More on them later. It unleashed a lot of weird energy and ended up mixing the gorillas and the scientists. So you now have a race of super intelligent apes. Some of them remember their origins. A lot of them do not. So the main characters of this are going to be the ones that do remember. Some of them may not want to go back if they were originally a gorilla. Some of them may want to go back if they were originally human. Or vice versa. You know, some of the gorillas may want to do a, you know, uh, flowers for Algernon kind of thing and just, hey, I would much better off then. And it's going to be a lot of internal politics. Okay, how do they progress from here? How do they interact with the world at large? Are they going to keep secret? Are they going to try and let everyone know they're there? Are they going to take a stand on, hey, you know, we need to do something about the natural world? Things of that nature. It's close to what I'm doing. Tonally, I think the types of stories are very similar. I'm staying closer to the text. In the Think of Astro City Mm -hmm. uh, meets Planet of the Apes, obviously. Or maybe more like JL Apes, I guess. So you've got King Solovar. He's about to step down as democracy comes to Gorilla City. 
It's a precarious time as the city-state joins the international community. The cast reimagines all the ape characters from the DCU so that maybe they never led supervillain lives, supervillain careers against the Flash or whatever. So you've got Grodd, Mala, Titano, Detective Chimp, Beppo, Angel and the Ape, Angel being one of the few humans living there. Uh, Gleek, maybe, Congorilla, <laughs> the ultra-humanite, a human dissident in disguise, uh, in a way. Uh, Giganta might be in there, Mod Gorilla Boss. Look, whatever obscurities you can find, there's plenty of ape characters across DC's history. And we're basically telling many interweaving stories as if this were a normal superhero city, like Metropolis, but with an ape cast. Some are good, some are bad, some are ambiguous. And there's this whole political factioning going on in the wake of Solovar's decisions. You know, each story arc might look at a different character, a bit like Astro City. You, you might look at mm -hmm. this and look at that. You know, is Detective Chimp kind of the, the Batman or the Commissioner Gordon of this place? You could do stories that focus on these different characters and their role in a superhero city. But then we're also putting that ape layer on top of that. Interesting. Possibly silly. <laughs> but guaranteed to sell comic books because you will have apes on the cover every time. That's according to the, the lore. Yes, that is a surefire way to get <laughs> sales, at least in the 60s. Gravedigger is our next character. And if Ghost Patrol is silly for me and G.I. Robot is sci-fi, Gravedigger, or actually the series is called Gravediggers, is my gritty realistic war series. It takes place in the present day with the Gravediggers, as led by Ulysses Hazard here, as a special ops squad that nips terrorist attacks in the bud. It's realistic in, like, real politic, real questions about the West's foreign policies, but the, the reality is still heightened somewhat. Think of, if people remember the show, The Unit, especially past that first season where it seemed more inspired by Jason Bourne and Mission Impossible, more grounded, but still more like those kinds of missions. That's what this would be. The cast would, of course, be expendable, but only once you've fallen in love with them. That's my, uh, <laughs> it has to be, that's the rule. Once a character is too popular to be killed, that's when they're in real danger. Uh, I like that one. Very nice. What did you have in mind? Think of this character like the Punisher, but he's the Punisher for spirits. He, so he's in the physical world, has some type of grudge against the spiritual world. He is an ex-Green Arrow. More on that in a minute. But he has his own way of handling ghosts, demons, whatever. He doesn't care. If you're not a physical being, you have to be put into the ground which is going to be the recurring catchphrase. So that will lead him into conflict with some of these other groups who are there to protect spirits. Like I can see him going up against the ghost patrol at some point. And how does that shake out? Does some of the ghost patrol not get to fulfill their end goal because of him? And does that generate any animosity? So it's, it's, he is, while none of what I'm doing is necessarily realistic, he is probably the most gritty and realistic of them, being based on a Punisher-like archetype. Despite the, the supernatural trappings. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not what I did with Gravedigger, but stay tuned. <laughs> There's a link to another series later on. And now we hit the, the, the big obstacle, which is going through <laughs> the green arrows and green lanterns of these worlds, because... There's so many entries. The green entries are maybe tougher to figure out. So what's your first Green Arrow series? Okay, well, 
Let me give you a, a general overview about what green arrows in my universe are first. These are guardians of the physical world against the entry of demons and such into our world. They found the smash pieces of a green lantern very long ago. Again, more on that in a minute. And using various alchemical processes, we're able to create a bow out of it that shoots energy arrows, much like the image I sent you about a green arrow earlier this week. <laughs> from uh, from Dungeons and Dragons, for people, obviously people haven't seen it, but uh, yes. yeah, the, the archer in, uh, or ranger, right? Yeah. He's the ranger. the ranger. The ranger in the yeah. Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. They hunt down demons that end up coming into our world, but no new bows have been created in the last several years, so... What's going on there? Is it a lost art? Is someone purposely not creating new bows, etc.? But the idea is that it's a role passed down generation to generation. Having said all that, <laughs> Green Arrow number one is one of two siblings. Number two is going to be the other sibling. But this is the, the one who trained at her father's side. She was always meant to inherit the role she takes demon hunting very seriously to the point where people try and lighten her up a lot, but she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. She will sometimes come into conflict with other heroes if they get in her way. If she is hunting a demon and the global guardians are there, she will go right through them if, if they're standing in her way, which could lead to her detriment, especially if she's going up against the, uh, the Superman-like character. So she, this is the specific demon hunting, I will do anything to get my goal entry. So Green Arrow 1 for me, I was heavily inspired by the fact that Green Arrow was originally a Batman ripoff and that they turned that into a fun rivalry on uh, Batman Brave and the Bold, a cartoon, right? So I bring you a book called Green Arrow, Rival of the Bat. So it's my Batman title. <laughs> <laughs> more sales but it's kind of a spoofy comic in which oliver queen watches batman do things on tv and immediately wants to do them and we're tracking the building of this superhero empire in that way origin of the utility arrows the Arrowmobile, the arrow cave and when batman gets a sidekick he goes out to find his version of robin his version of the joker of the penguin of, the, of commissioner gordon etc sometimes he succeeds sometimes he fails but it gets more and more outrageous as we delve into Batman history. Zebra Arrow? Arrowmite? You know, <laughs> anything goes in this. It's it's a comedy series. That sounds very funny. I I would definitely want to read that one. So that, that that's that's at the top of the list, right? Okay, now. cool. Well, <laughs> it would also be mine if you know if I was in your shoes. Green Arrow number two, since it's still my turn. Well, recently Jimmy Palmiotti tweeted about being asked to pitch an older Green Arrow series, like a year back, and he did. It was about Oliver Queen in his early sixties living in a trailer park in Florida and making money by being a hero for hire. His office was a booth at a local bar that was also a strip joint. It never got made, and he says it never will. Well, here at Siskoids DC, there's no stopping us. I'm giving Palmiotti a chance to do the book. We're calling it Old Man Arrow because I have no shame. <laughs> I think Mike Grell's run, but with a sense of humor. Uh, Ollie is probably not the only older hero on the wane, but it doesn't take place in the future or anything. So maybe some of the Silver Age heroes are just allowed to be older, uh, and that's it. It could be about recapturing old glories, but I, I really rather think it's about accepting that you're over the hill, but you just can't stand retirement. And what else are you going to do? 
So <laughs> if my Grell was maybe the boomer experience of being past your prime, this would be the Gen Xers version of that, which I think, you know, we're we're on the cusp of and, and maybe living ourselves. So my, my two Green Arrow comics are actually kind of comedies in a way, or at least satirical. That's what I'm doing with Green Arrow. I, I, I don't think I like him as a gritty, serious hero, I guess. Maybe that's it. Yeah, well, when you just look at the the name, it's like, okay, he's Robin Hood. Yeah. <laughs> so how serious can you get? You <laughs> that's know? It. You're number two. What Are the comics actually titled Green Arrow number one and Green Arrow number two? I hadn't actually gotten that far into it, to tell you the truth. Most likely the, the first one will be called Green Arrow Demon Hunter. And the second one would be uh, Green Arrow Fledgling Hero. Okay. Because the second Green Arrow is the younger brother of the first Green Arrow. He wasn't trained by his father officially, but he saw what his sister was doing and he kind of, you know, self-taught because he always wanted to be a member of the Global Guardians. So he stole a second bow his father had because, hey, they're not being made. You keep a spare just in case. And he is now out to become a superhero. He, this is the really eager, very happy to be there. I want to get to the top one day hero in training, essentially. So he is constantly bothering other heroes. Hey, what can I do to do better? You know, can you help me? Kid, I'm in a fight here. Can you stop? <laughs> you know, he, so he's he's going to be kind of annoying so it's, it's going to be somewhat of a comedy book, but the goal is that he never loses that eagerness, never loses his worldview of superheroes are great. I really want to be one against a lot of what's going on now. And, you know, oh, this is a great new hero eager to be there and suddenly gets downtrodden. Oh, why did I do this? And no, this this is the happy Green Arrow. But most people aren't happy when he shows up because, <laughs> oh, this kid again. <laughs> It's a little bit like Hawkeye in the sense that you've got two heroes or are contemporaries and each has the same name and they're mm -hmm. connected, but it really doesn't matter. And I, it, that's one thing in modern comics that I, I find like, why, why can't characters have the same name and have like competing IPs? <laughs> you can make it work. Need a little bit of creativity. That's all. Well, speaking of creativity, <laughs> I mean, because it's Green Lantern 1, 2, 3, Green Lantern Core, the Green Man was a Green Lantern, and Guardians of the Universe... <laughs> Will yeah. also be included. So it's all Green, Green Lantern entries almost. Where do you go with the in the entry? It's the Golden Age Green Lantern, but for you, it's just like Green Lantern number one. Again, like I did with Green Arrow, here's the overview of Green Lanterns. Now, these guys are on the spiritual side of things, they are the shepherds of the dead. So they will bring souls of people that have died to Gem World, where they will then eventually go on to their next destination. Sometimes they have to fight off demons who want to absorb these souls for their own purposes, and using that requires the power of the lantern. This is a lot more like the actual Tangent Universe lantern, where it everyone is carrying a lantern around to light their way. But the first Green Lantern is one of the older ones. So this, this would be titled Green Lantern, Old Man of the West. <laughs> Because he is based in the western United States. He is very experienced, but that also means he is set in his ways. So picture like a man with no name, Clint Eastwood type, who goes from town to town dealing with demons, getting souls on their way, etc. He is sometimes run in to train younger Green Lanterns, but he doesn't exactly like that because he is more of, I want to be on my own. It's a lot like 
TV shows from the 70s, mm-hmm. really, where they're, you're, you're going from town to town, same main character, but he's dealing with a different group every single issue. I know the archetype well. You know, the tangent Green Lantern was one of my early ideas. It's like, okay, I got to do three Green Lanterns. Maybe I can That's- do the tangent one as as one of the series. And then I, I abandoned that idea maybe because I got other ideas. So for me, the original Green Lantern, I wanted to avoid, you know, too many books with the same title. Uh, so Alan Scott is the Sentinel, and the book is called Sentinel of Justice. I thought it was a good idea to present Alan Scott as gay in the New 52, but they almost immediately dropped the ball by killing his husband and making it a non-issue. So... He's gay in my version. We're using that. But it's the 1940s, just after the war. Naturally, he's closeted, especially the fact, you know, he's a pillar of the community, radio station owner. But it's as the Sentinel that he lets his pride flag fly, in a sense. It's at least closer to his truer self. It takes place in a pre-Batman Gotham with all the precursor Batman staples people love. Uh, I want the radio element to be an important component with Doiby Dickles repurposed as a as like part of the staff uh, and Molly Main accepting to be his wife slash beard to keep up appearances. Mm. And maybe she's a little gay herself being Harlequin on the side, making it a Harley Quinn retro reference for Gotham. And there's admittedly a lot going on in the series. It's a cross between queer ass folk, Mad Men and the Gotham TV series. It's more or less kind of all jumbled together. Yeah, that's what I'm doing with with Sentinel or The Sentinel or whatever maybe sounds more retro, The Sentinel. So that's my first Green Lantern book. My second Green Lantern book, you know, in the entry, it's Hal Jordan. But of all the Green Lanterns, I think Hal is the one I least wanted to work with. So I've sort of shunted him to old man status. And given that there are, yes, there are female characters in my team books, there are no solo entries in this issue of Husu that are female, so I've decided to give the series to Kat Matui. Something they haven't done is giving the main GL series to an alien, even though Sector 2814 has other inhabited planets. It does? Really? Apparently. (laughs) Based on their pink skin, I'm going to retcon Korogar as being in our sector, and the home of Abinsur in the comics is actually Ungaran, but they seem to be like the same species. And Captain Tui is in line for his ring. So history happens as we remember until Hal and Carol Ferris walk into an alien sunset at the end of the previous volume. They're like agents of the Guardians and the Zamorans on a mission to reconnect the two cultures or something like that. Katmatui can finally take her place defending Sector 2814 and makes her base on Earth because all the bad stuff happens here, it seems. So I've always thought she looked like Carol Ferris. Like if you check out the Dave Gibbons art in the Green Lantern Corps entry, that's kind of like Carol Ferris with pink skin. So uh, that becomes her secret identity. She takes over Carol's life thanks to a perception field created by the ring. I mean, they're not just like similar looking, you know, they're just got to be like a trick. Only Tom Kamalku knows the truth. An alien among us story, bit fish out of water, even though she did spend some time here in the 80s. Some crazy visuals, weird ring tricks. This has got to come from an alien mind, basically. Hmm. Classic Green Lantern stuff, except with a female lead, which, given how macho Hal was, must change everything. You know, <laughs> you change the entire focus. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought of uh, having an alien on Earth. Green Lantern. When you do a little research, there's a lot of inhabited planets in Sector 2014. 
So it's kind of ridiculous that all the action takes place here. Anyway, <laughs> your second lantern. All right. My second lantern. This one is a woman who is based in Africa. So it's the same general premise. She's traveling around. This is mainly the, the South African region. So she may come across Gorilla City at one point, see what happens there. But she has to deal with a lot of souls who are very, very bitter. If you think about the nature of the continent, there's a lot of starvation, there's a lot of war, a lot of child soldiers. So she has to try and keep these souls from turning into demons themselves because they want revenge. And that's going to be a lot of interplay with, okay, how do they, how does she talk these people down? Because it's not like you enforce someone to stop being angry. You have to engage with them. So how does she do that? So it's going to be a lot of counseling and things like that in here. I think Africa is so rife with storytelling opportunities. I've been watching a lot of African cinema lately. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but the way they tell stories and the the lands where it takes, I mean, even the, the geography is something that seems very uh, strange to us who are used to every movie taking place in Los Angeles or New York. I think it's very interesting to bring in African characters, or especially in the wake of Black Panther, which I guess really put Afrofuturism on the map in, in terms of mainstream. So mm -hmm. this is a very intriguing series, I gotta say. But you, you're, you're not done. You still have to give us no, another <laughs> Green Lantern comic. <laughs> All right, well... This is what's nice thing about having a core of Green yes. Lanterns. <laughs> this one is a young woman who is not of Japanese descent, but she is an otaku and based in Japan. So this is one of the, it's like, oh, this is my dream job. I get to live in this culture and everything. But she can sometimes be overwhelmed by things. It's like, okay, well, I have to deal with these souls, but ooh, anime museum. You know, a lot of... Um, ADD as far as what's going on, being somewhat of an otaku myself, there's a lot of interesting Japanese uh, spiritual yeah. stuff. So she's going to be seeing a lot of different types of demons and spirits of the land and things like that. So she's going to be from someone not raised in that culture. She's going to have to figure out a way to deal with them effectively. Now, some of them may look like demons, but are not. Some may not look like demons, but are. Yeah. So it's going to be a, a little bit of an exploration of Japanese culture from an outsider's point of view. Right. Get into, okay, why is it this way? Uh, you know, what can I do to, you know, acclimate things of that nature. You got to watch a lot of Miyazaki to prepare. Yes. <laughs> to prepare. Uh, okay, my third series with a Green Lantern in it. It's a concept developed by a writer whose name should not be spoken. But I always like the core idea behind Green Lantern Mosaic, and I want John Stewart mm. to get that job again. So, by whatever means, the Guardians have created a small city where different alien cultures have to cohabitate, and John, the architect. I've always liked that idea better than the Marine. So the architect is in charge of keeping the peace and turning the various peoples into a community that functions. It's part of the Guardian's more long-term plans to achieve universal peace. I'm very much thinking of John here as a Green Lantern version of Ben Sisko on Deep Space Nine. 
gets into the action, uh, but also has more intriguing problems to deal with in terms of community building. And very simple. Again, I just poached from the past and am resurrecting a series. It works, especially if you narrow it down to a city. Yeah, yeah. Green Lantern Core. Well, I call it Tales of the Green Lantern Core. I'm also going to the past for this. My template is the annuals they did with, well, you know, there's a, like the famous Alan Moore story that keeps getting reprinted. <laughs> so that idea, smaller page count, two or three stories per issue, including one or two that are maybe serialized tales for longer stories or that star better known lanterns from across the history of the core. Uh, I'll write the one about the Green Lantern brick myself. It's a weird in-joke, but I'm, I'm leaving it in there. And uh, Gnort gets a humor page every issue. Nice. It's a bit of a, yeah, an anthology for me. Well, for me too. <laughs> the title just lends itself to that. It's uh, This is going to be an anthology book. Okay, so I've got U.S., Africa, Japan. The rest. Yeah, this is going to be tales from Asia, Europe, South America, the rest of the North America, the rest of Africa, Antarctica, maybe, Australia, you know, depending on what is needed. And you'll get Green Lanterns that are not the main three. Those three might cross over, but that's not the intention of this book. This is everybody else. And it's a world with various cultures, various views of spiritualism. So you are going to have all kinds of possibilities to deal with. Between that and Global Guardians, one physical, one spiritual, you're mm -hmm. really covering a lot of terrain. And I did the same with my books. I think, are we sick of American <laughs> cities? <laughs> well, it's just the, the fact that everything takes place there. It's like, okay, like, look at Marvel. Everything's New York. I mean, everything is New York. Yeah, it's even worse. <laughs> you have one superhero team in Canada. You have a couple superheroes in the UK. You got nobody from South America. You know, I mean, it's, get a little more diverse people. Especially now that, you know, the, the global village element where artists and I mean, and it's been this way for decades, but artists come from different areas and uh, writers come from different areas. It's a lot easier to, you don't have to live in New York next to the publishing office to get work anymore. You know, there, there's a way to bring in all these new perspectives, I think, today. Yeah. Yeah. As editors, we respect that. As fake editors, but... <laughs> <laughs> Is the Green Man a Green Lantern or... Okay, no, enough. <laughs> no, the, the Green Man is a former Green Lantern. Basically, he's a Ronin Green Lantern. He wanders the Earth. However, he doesn't exactly like what the Guardians and the Green Lantern Corps do. Is, okay, everyone's got to go to Gem World. Well, maybe that isn't the best for every single person. So... He wanders the earth because I know Michael Bailey's listening like Kane from Kung Fu mm -hmm. <laughs> and he helps spirits as he sees fit. It is basically each one deserves its own end based on itself, not on the fact that it is a soul. So there will be times when he funnels souls to the ghost patrol. It's like, oh, you think you need need to finish this? Well, I just happen to know people that can help you out. He's a little disillusioned with the structure as it is in place. However, that doesn't mean he's disillusioned with his mission. Think of Ahsoka from Star Wars. She's not a Jedi because she left the Order, but she is doing what she thinks a Jedi should be doing. In the structure you've created for these spiritual Green Lanterns, that it is a great fit. I, I went for a complete revamp. I looked at where the term Green Man comes from. 
And if you've ever seen a face surrounded by leaves in architecture, like in old churches and such, in the, you know, like sculpted into the rock, the, the stone, that's the green man. It's a symbol of renewal. It's actually found in many cultures. It's thought to have been imported into Europe from Asia Minor in the Middle Ages by the Knights Templar. So imagine this guy, you know, from the entry, the froggy face. I love the froggy face, but surrounded with leaves. And it's a kind of take on the Earth Elemental version of Swamp Thing. He may or may not be connected to Geoforce. He isn't a member. Rather, his stories are more in line with urban fantasy, Neil Gaiman type stuff, uh, with the Green Man fighting the Spider Guild, for example, or creatures who serve the Citadel of Decay. I'm making allusions to Omega Men villains. It's the only good place for any Omega Men stuff is alluding to it, <laughs> but not using it. Uh, the Green Man is mobile in the extreme, so some of these adventures are on Earth, others are in space, back in time. He would have a supporting cast that would travel with him, or rather inside him. He's a bit of a TARDIS. In a way, if you enter the Green Man, you find yourself in a pastoral glade. I imagine companions that would include, well, of course, you need the plucky young woman, you know, <laughs> of today. You need that. But you'd also have like a quixotic knight. You'd have a, a talking rabbit. It's a very strange shopping list I'm giving to the writer here, but... <laughs> But this is essentially what I'm doing with the Green Man. It has nothing to do with his original life. Very interesting. I was hoping you would go with the actual Green Man name and see where yeah, that went. So there you go. Grim Ghost is next, or as he was originally called, the Gay Ghost. The Grim Ghost never appeared, really, until like Secret Origins, I think. <laughs> he needed to change his name. But uh, he was the Gay Ghost in the original stories until the, the word started to mean something else. But I'm using both, actually. 18th century setting, we follow the swashbuckling adventures of the Gay Blade. A reference to our Zorro month stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's called the Gay Blade. It's a classic setup. The Earl of Strathmere lives an indolent, foppish life, and no one knows he's really the Gay Blade, he, who is a happy-go-lucky swordsman who fights for the common people against a network of bandits secretly employed by the local baron. Okay, Kind of left to herself, Deborah Wallace his fiance in the original stories, dreams of instead being betrothed to the Grim Ghost, which she's invented. Each issue devotes some pages to an epistolary novel in the gothic romance mold that she's writing, in which her lover died and became a brooding ghost haunting the living. Not knowing that her actual paramour it really is an exciting romantic hero. So there's a scripted moment at some point in which the gay blade meets his literary self eventually. So, like... Classic twist that might mean he has a dark fate that Deborah is subconsciously aware of. But really, we're following like these two stories. One, the fake gothic romance with the ghost in it. And the other, like the main story, is more of a Robin Hood story. Okay. Did you go with the gay ghost or the grim ghost? I went with the grim ghost. Uh, the grim ghost is my Batman. Okay. Whoa. Uh, he, he is a member of the Global Guardians. Picture... The Grey Ghost from yes. Batman the Animated Series. So, but he is the Grim Ghost, but same basic idea. This is a character who started in the 1940s. This is the grandson of the original, but he is the same, basically gadget-based, very good detective, not a super-duper planner. He's more of a reactor, so you're not going to have the Grim God in this. <laughs> Uh, he is the human heart of the Global Guardians. He's the one that keeps people like the Guardian 
who you'll hear about in a second, kind of in line. He is like their moral compass. Gets into a lot of conflict with Golden Gladiator because he is the uh, from the rich white family. Right. So he is obviously one of the entitled, but he is not one to necessarily act that way consciously. So she'll call him out on something. He's like, oh, did I do that? I'm, I'm so sorry. So it's more street level stuff. He will get involved with the global things because he has the knowledge. I mean, it, his records go back to his grandfather. So he knows, you know, oh, this has come up in this certain point and they've done a lot of research and things like that. But he is not going to be taking on any superpowered foes. If something big comes up like that, it's like, okay, I'll be here coordinating. You go out. Fine. Right. This is the brains. Yeah, he, he is. He's the man in the cave. Earlier, you sort of kind of referenced the Superman type. I mean, the Guardian is kind of your last chance. Oh, the Guardian is the last one. Yes. Uh, so this is basically Superman without the secret identity although he's always been created that way. Someone who has all kind of superpowers, flight, invulnerability, strength, etc., and does the right thing because it's the right thing to do, but he lacks that connection with humanity. The reason for this is that when the title starts, he is discovering his origin as an experiment. There was uh, like a super soldier program to you know try and give soldiers superpowers, but... He was the only success. Something happened. Not only did it destroy everything regarding the process, but it also wiped his memory. He has this innate moral center to do what is right, but he has no idea who he is. So part of his title is you know, he's going to be dealing with crises everywhere and, and fighting crime and things like that. But the main focus of it is going to be how does he find out who he is, where he came from? And part of the process changed his facial structure, so he can't even use that. He can't even use facial recognition software or someone say, oh, I recognize him. So it's going to be superhero wrapped in a lot of mystery. Cool. Yeah. Mine is extremely simple. I really like what Grant Morrison set up in Seven Soldiers of Victory. A lot more of those miniseries should have gone to series. Not just, you know, eventually they did Frankenstein. I would simply take that version of The Guardian, the so-called Manhattan Guardian, and take it to series. An African-American tabloid-sponsored hero who works with a literal newsboy legion or newsboy army in that works in the field as a superhero who reports facts that no normal journalist could. The miniseries had like subway pirates, had buildings that were designed but never built. So it created like a, a strange New York. That's the New York I would want to create here. A mythical New York. The New York of our imaginations. Uh, thanks to film and memory. So I guess the World's Fair would still be there. Uh, urban legend, you know, alligators in the sewers, all that kind of stuff. Just to keep things interesting. But essentially, it's still the Seven Soldiers Guardian series. If it had continued past the fourth issue, you know, with a different creative team. But again, I went to the past where I thought this is the perfect version of this. But it hasn't been exploited past, you know, four issues. We are now up to the Guardians of the Universe, so closing the loop on our Green Lantern stuff. I call it Young Guardians, and at the risk of making it seem like a CW-type TV show, it's about the early days of the Guardians on Maltus. There might be young, hot versions of Guardians we know, like Ganthet. I don't know. It depends on how immortal you think they are. But the controllers <laughs> have just seceded, uh, and the series will track 
the Zamoran splitting off, the Guardians building the Manhunters, all that stuff. It's a little like Caprica in that sense, where we follow different characters and at least some are concerned that this way of doing things might be dangerous. They're uncovering political conspiracies at home, plans for invasion uh, and annexation from the controllers. This is the time of Krona, of creating the Scions and the Manhunters and, and all of this stuff that we know from Guardian history is all in this, but seen through new eyes, reinterpreted with a modern, more soapish sensibility, uh, with an eye towards world building and sowing the seeds of what's to come in the Green Lantern books themselves. So those kinds of crossovers where something is seeded thousands of years ago and then comes to fruition in another book today. That's what I'm doing with the Guardians. Are the Guardians of the Universe at all? I mean, are they part of your Green Lantern scheme at all? Yeah, actually they are. Picture the global Guardians in my universe in the physical realm, but these are the ones in the spirit realm. They are protectors of the spirit world. They are in charge of the Green Lantern Corps, and that's where the Green Lanterns get their powers and everything. But they're not concerned with the day-to-day stuff. That's why they have the Green Lanterns. They deal with the individual souls. The Guardians are the ones that deal with stuff on a more cosmic level. If there's an extra-dimensional threat that comes in, it's the Guardians who take care of it. And they are of a much higher power level. But unlike the monoculture Guardians you see in the the actual Green Lantern books, these Guardians have different personalities, different specialties. They come from different cultures. So you're going to have some interplay between them of, okay, well, what's the best way to deal with this? They're not all powerful, but they are like two steps above where the Green Lanterns are. So if if you see a Guardian show up in any other title, it's like, this is going to get very bad. <laughs> That's page 32 of this issue, but we give ourselves some leeway and we can go back and pick another character that was normally a villain and give them a series. Please tell me you picked the Golden Glider. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, I that's didn't. fine. <laughs> I can't do anything I just with want that. that figure skating comic to exist. I, and I'm just thinking of it now. You know, I'm, that's not what I picked. <laughs> what did you go for? Knowing the line that I have between the physical and the spiritual, I just had to go with the gentleman ghost. Now, this ghost is a man who believed that he was wronged in his previous life by his fellow thieves. So he's still a thief. However, he also feels that his ghostly powers are a blessing. So he tries to avoid the Green Lanterns and the Green Arrows as much as he possibly can. He takes very great pleasure in haunting those that betray their friends. So he's taking what happened to him and moving on and using it as uh, an impetus to help other people to help them, but also because he really, really enjoys haunting people. Picture something along the lines of the modus operandi of the specter where, oh, these people are wronged. Now I'm going to come in and I'm going to mess with those, you know, the ones that did the wronging. Nowhere near that power level, but sometimes they change their ways and apologize. Sometimes they just keep getting haunted and he'll bounce back and forth. And, oh, let me check in on this one today and see what's going on. I, uh, <laughs> I also picked the gentleman ghost. 
This is going to be a similar idea and a similar idea to what you brought up earlier as well. If you want another idea, just go, yeah, Golden Glider, manga, figure skating (laughs) series. Okay. But when I saw the Earth 3 Gentleman Ghost in the Hawkman issues of Year of the Villain, he's the Pinkerton Ghost there. I Mm. immediately, I knew this would be my bonus series when I hit the the G's in Who's Who. His look is just too strong. So I have him be a highwayman. Hung for his crimes, as per the original, but instead of taking revenge in the afterlife, he's trying to make amends for what he did in life, so he can put his soul to rest. So the very, I mean, it would fit in your in your uh, cosmology. He coalesced in contemporary London, where his series is set. He uses ghostly tricks and guns that shoot bullets that go right through your soul, and he seems to have a grand old time doing it. He's a vigilante. He's much too violent for the authorities to find that acceptable. I guess it's hard for a leopard to change his spots once he's dead. So uh, the series also follows a group of British supernatural detectives who are out to catch him and exorcise him. People who are descendants of Victorian literary luminaries like Sherlock Holmes and Professor Van Helsing, basically. But will they help him towards the light or condemn him to hell before he can clean his slate? Very much in line with your spiritual world, I think. <laughs> cool. I like how we both chose the same the same one, not meaning to whatsoever. No, but Joe Kubert on this is, I mean, it's such a powerful visual. He's mm-hmm. such a cool looking character with the floating monocle. and I mean, you got to do something with that. Sorry, Goldface. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let me give you some milk money. You can only buy one of my series and vice versa. So every month you get to pick up one of these books. Which one is it? I actually think I'm going to go with Gentleman Ghost. That really appeals to me with him being the vigilante, but also like you having the League of Extraordinary Detectives on his case. (laughs) Yeah. So that should be a very fun one to read. I mean, my front runner was Ghost Patrol, and I still think that's the one I'm going to get every month. However, if there's a runner up, I guess it's Global Guardians. Because then I get to taste a lot of the other characters, a lot of the other, you know, but that the danger is that I only have money for one series and then Global Guardians is going to make me want to get Guardian, get Grim Ghost, get Golden Gladiator, who are all concepts that I did like, you know, on their own. You know, I only have so much money, so Ghost Patrol is going to be my series. Excellent. As advertised pretty early on in this uh, podcast. Okay, well, dear listeners, it's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. I hope you had fun, Gene. Oh, I did, yes. Once I got past the initial terror of, oh, I have to think of how many concepts and (laughs) came up with my overall idea, it just, it was real fun to go through. Yeah, I think our next episode actually breaks the bank in terms of (laughs) number of heroes in there that must be covered. My next guest has their work cut out for them. So tell us where people can find you on the podcastosphere. Well, uh, most of my stuff can be found at Two True Freaks. Uh, My shows are more or less on hiatus right now. Uh, We will be coming back with the Quantum Cast and Anime Freaks fairly soon. But most of what I'm doing over there is working with the Akadekaganagon Theater Works and doing voice acting. Uh, we have done the first book of Strangers in Paradise, of which I was uh, a minor part. We've done what we call public domain comics theater, where we take public domain comic stories and turn them into audio dramas. 
And coming up later this year, we will have book two of Strangers in Paradise, but we are also going to start our adaptation of Ron Randall's Trekker comic as an audio drama. Both Strangers in Paradise and Trekker have the approval of the creators. Oh, nice. And I'm sure of uh, the Sutherlands. Uh, yeah, well, as soon as I told the Sutherlands about the, the Trekker, they were very, very happy to hear it. <laughs> and I can also be heard on the Longbox Crusade Network as part of the LBC Irregulars, where we are going through episode by episode the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series. There you go. So you can find Gene on all the competing networks. <laughs> well, since you guys have enough shows here, you don't need me. Well, thanks for doing the experiment and until next time who's editing we, we are, are. My whole run on Green Arrow, the through line of that is the love story between Ollie and Dinah. Everything else, you know, basically it's an excuse, a new adventure every couple of issues. But the thread that carries it on is the relationships.